0: Welcome back to Gal on the Go Unplugged. My guest today is Beth Enstandig, a writer, professor, licensed psychotherapist, and legit cowgirl. She pioneered the model of natural leadership, spent over 25 years developing, implementing, and training people in it. Beth's book, The Human Herd, Awakening Our Natural Leadership, is part guidebook and part manifesto, offering a framework for living, relating, and leading a more empowered life. Hi, Beth. Hi. Thank you for coming on Unplugged. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you um, giving your time to the Unplugged listeners. So, okay, let's get into your book, The Human sure. Herd Awakening Our Natural Leadership. I found it fascinating. Um, I really enjoyed it in it. You state that humans have lived in herds for thousands of years. What initially sparked you to recognize the depth of that commonality between humans and animals?
1: I've grown up, um, my, you know, I grew up with, with animals and I've spent, um, all of my adult life studying and living with um, dogs and horses mainly, but also sheep and goats and chickens and cats. And, you know, I really enjoy ranch life and um, partnering with, with animals and learning from them. Very early on, I noticed that the way that we do our human groups, whether it's in families or classrooms um workplaces cities um, all different kinds of groups that we exist in the way that we live and relate and communicate is very different than other mammals and we actually hold a lot of stress and tension in our relationships without making adjustments and other mammals don't tolerate that and it's it's why you know left to their own devices and without us interfering with their lifestyle they don't have stress disease and stress injuries so for a very long time i've been studying the differences between other mammal groups and humans and looking to the the other animals for some guidance um in understanding you know what are the elements of mammal life that allow an individual to live you know with you know enough ease and wellness and what are the elements of you know the relational world of mammals and how we negotiate and navigate needs and share space and need each other you know what are those in our mammal friends and um and you know where have we strayed away from that mammal within us and and gone to this other way of life that seems quite ridden with conflict. Oh yeah. Especially these days, more than ever, it seems. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like the more the earth heats up, the more inflamed our relationships get.
0: Well, you, you talk about natural leadership, you know, and you define it as the power of awareness, the gifts of authentic relationships and the necessity of trusting community. Um, Can you please explain what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so the, um, you know, I really learned this from my horse herd, especially. They're an interdependent group. And so what that means is that each individual is responsible for taking care of themselves so that they can be a viable group member and be available to support different things that are needed in the group, and then also to ask for support and share a life together and um, they are wholly and radically committed to taking care of themselves and each other because you know being a healthy stable enough member of a group makes you available to serve the greater good and it makes a lot more sense in terms of our survival as mammals to do our lives together, to be able to share resources and safety and and certainly more enjoyable if we can do it and and get along. So that interdependent herd, that authenticity is really about authentic self-care and on on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day level, really being a stable nervous system. And it's also about giving very honest feedback in the moment about what's needed so that there can be relationships of ease it just doesn't make sense for mammals to expend energy doing any infighting i love
0: that concept you know you touched upon the authenticity honesty um you know those are it seems to be things that like we really need to get back to in life you know it seems like we've lost some of those values And, you know, that sense of community, I remember as a little girl, like one of my favorite things was our block parties. And, you know, there was a genuine sense of looking after each other. And exactly to your point, like, leaning on each other's strengths. And now you're lucky if you even know who your neighbors are. (laughs) Uh, And that's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I think we used to be a lot better at needing each other. And, It really is a skill set. And I watch it in having a multi multi generational herd of horses, and then also a multi generational pack of dogs. Um, (laughs) I have youngsters. And so um, one of the things they're learning is how they're learning some social skills. And, you know, they're learning to need each other. And they're learning, you know, how do we how do we get along? What is the culture of, of our group? And when we are in isolation individually, or as families, or as colleagues in the workplace, we really don't learn or practice the skills of getting along past grade school. It's just not, you know, it's not taught in school how to take care of ourselves and how to take care of ourselves in relationship. And so unless you end up specializing in that professionally, um, even teachers are very minimally trained around how to create a healthy culture in their classroom. They're taught how to manage behavior, but not how to really teach the culture of getting along and cooperation, which we're naturally wired to do, but we do have to learn and practice it.
0: Well, that's so fascinating. I And I hope that the way, you know, not their fault. Um, They're probably practicing what they learn. So I hope that it changes in like, let's say the college curriculum and the way they're taught changes so that in turn, the way they teach the future, you know, um, members of society that changes.
1: (laughs) I think at the core, and I think, you know, I, we really do have uh, the, the crisis has more to do with how we're teaching, Um, how we're learning to take care of ourselves. And we're following role models of very stressed out adults, whether it's in the home or in the classroom or in university or in the workplace. And so even if you're learning really good curriculum about how to create healthy culture, if the culture of you as an individual is out of balance and is really suffering, there is no way that you can really show up and create healthy culture around you. And so I think, you know, when I'm talking about self-care, I'm not talking about the thing you do once a week that's like a treat. I'm talking about what you do throughout the day that keeps you in a state of equilibrium and how you structure your day and your life with the kind of commitment that I notice in the other animals, but not in the human
0: Uh, I mean, those are uh, super valid um, points. And, you know, you're right, it's not as simple as maybe like I stated in, you know, how they learn, because environmentally, those are um, pretty significant contributing factors too. Yeah. Um, Now, You know, we've had this thing where we have social media, right? And you think like, oh, social media and, you know, everyone's starting to tease and catch on to the fact that social media is not so social, at least not in um, forming genuine relationships kind of way. And, you know, then on top of that, you add COVID and the distancing and the scare culture that came with COVID. Um, what are some recommendations of how you think we can start to get back and reconnect into that more community vibe?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that um, we have to find safe friendships and relationships and I think it's quality over quantity and having people in our lives who really know us and who we really know. And, um, you know, and I think that that when if adults are doing more of that in the home and um really having like strong, long-lasting relationships and that are quality and that are really about supporting each other, that they're really about showing up for each other's lives with love. You know, if we're doing that in our families or we're doing that with family friends and we're modeling that for our children and we're teaching our children how to be good friends. And how to actually offer support, how to ask for help, accept help, um, you know, how to be servant leaders, really, how to be of service to each other. What we're doing is teaching community, and I think that you know we get these little dopamine fixes that have us sensing that we're are having the sensation of connection through these digital means, but they're not really, you know, it's like living off of carbs only, you know, we're not getting like, (laughs) not that I don't love bread, but you know, it's like we really do need a more multidimensional nourishment when it comes to our social lives, our inner world and depth of connection. And I think we need that at home and we need it in our neighborhoods and in our classrooms and we need it in our workplaces and um and and so i think about you know when i i work with a lot of organizations and teams and we talk a lot about the a group being a team you know a group or a team is a is a a a name but is it actually operating like a community and that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be as close as a family but do we have psychological safety and enough ease in those relationships that the team or you know or the group that you're operating in is actually a safe haven for you and if it isn't then we're spending you know 40 to 80 hours a week feeling unsafe and so there's no wonder you know that we've end up feeling isolated and lonely and turning to things like social media, because we're not getting those needs met. Um, But we're, you know, we, that is a core need of humans is to have that authentic and safe connection with each other.
0: Now, do you think, you know, because that's missing, right? And it's so hard like, it would be amazing to have that be more widespread, right? But it's so hard because it's like, unless someone's turned on this, site, let's say someone like you, you know, they're not going to be aware of that and like how they can change or what things they need to do in their life to, you know, um, create form those relationships. Mm -hmm. And so do you think it starts like in the classroom? Do you think it should be like corporations who like attend your workshops and stuff? Or is it overall? How could we make that become like more integrated so that it's not like pockets of people living that way?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's about having more conversations anywhere we can about what what allows us to have like a whole, whole person wellness and that, you know, having psychological safety and deep connections and a sense of belonging with others is actually one of our core needs. And so anywhere we can talk about that, you know, as a parent, I've been raising my daughter with those as, you know, life skills and part of how we live, you know, behaviorally live our lives. And any chance I get, you know when that topic comes up um I'll share with others the way that I stay connected to people and I think it happens in informal ways and I think sometimes we overcomplicate it and think that we have to I mean I love when people come and work with me and I get to consult and coach and teach and and a lot of times that happens through people's workplaces um and it used to happen through therapy but it's sort of like does it have to be a formal leadership training program or a mental health intervention for us to actually connect with others and i and it ought not to i was thinking about this not long ago and i used to live in an area where all the people in in that vicinity would take their dogs first thing in the morning and the you know after between you know dinner time and dark and go to this neighborhood that there was a high school athletic field and there was a perimeter path and then the field and the, the school tolerated the, the neighborhood, you know, walking their dogs. And I lived at that house for 11 years, and I knew everybody and their dogs because we would walk our dogs. And, um, there was this one gentleman who got a dog and started coming there and over over the course of a year, he started opening up about how he had spent like 20 years in Silicon Valley and basically just working and he had no friends, no community. And then he got this dog and we kind of joked that like Harry Harry was like the the mayor of the dog field. Mm -hmm. Like he was the most (laughs) loving, friendly... He was always reaching out to people and bringing snacks. All the dogs loved him because he had pockets full of treats and he knew all the dogs. And he said that getting that dog changed his life. And it was because it got him out of his house and it got him to that field and it got him meeting his neighbors. And so it's like, what can we do that gets us out of our isolation? And it could just be you know, that you start to have a routine where you do get out of your house and start talking to people. And if that's hard for people, like sometimes going and volunteering is a great way to do it, where it's like, go be of service, go make yourself useful in the community. And before you know it, you'll end up finding people who you connect with. So I just love that story of Harry. And um, I think about him often about how he didn't mean to, but he ended up, you know, having a life just because he got this dog and started walking around. I love that.
0: Like so organic, like he never expected it. And he probably was getting a dog for totally different reasons. So that's really yeah. cool that it worked out in that way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this time of year, you know, is, we're getting towards the holidays and people seem to have increased feelings of um, over being overwhelmed. And you've talked in your book about pressure and pace. Um, and I was wondering, can you please share with unplugged listeners how they can better their health in dealing with those two factors?
1: Yeah, those are like each one of those topics is a whole chapter. And I could have written, you know, three volumes of books about each of those topics. But it, the holidays, I, I'm glad you brought that up in the context of time of year, because you know as mammals we are very sensitive to pressure and what that means is anytime something changes um something new exists in our system whether it's internal or external a a sense of pressure emerges and usually it needs us to adjust it needs us to um to make adjustments in order to um to for that pressure to actually um, lower lower, so we can go back to a place of ease. And if we don't make those adjustments, it just turns into tension, which turns into stress, which ultimately will lead to some kind of trauma, either internal or external. And this is just the way that systems work. And so if you think about um, the holidays and you think about, you know, we when we talk about awareness and natural leadership, we look at what's going on within me, what's happening with those around me, what's happening between us, and then what's going on environmentally. We've got big season changes. And if you just think about northern hemisphere, we have shorter days, colder weather, um, end of year. So we have we get the calendar influences us and starts to put pressure on us to to change something. There's all of these different, um, different, you know, sources of pressure. And then we have these societal expectations of what the holidays are supposed to look like. And we've got Pinterest and magazines and social media, like packaging everything, you know, in this very polished, perfect way. And we were supposed to do the holidays in a certain way. And we're, people everywhere you go, people ask you, what are you doing for the holidays? And did you buy all your presents? And how are, who are you spending the holidays with? And, you know, and so we're living with all of these external and internal pressures on top of all of the pressures that we live with in life that are just our daily pressures that could be, you know, a, a dwindling bank account, um, health issue, a worry about a child, um, job stress um and it, and then the, just the daily types of pressures that exist like you know you could have like a leaky faucet that's just on your mind you know and it has to get fixed and or a relationship conflict that didn't get resolved and so it's almost like if you think about adding all of those up as like ounces or pounds of pressure we're carrying around all of this weight, this kind of heaviness in our bodies in our spirit in our mind emotionally and so anytime there's like a season change i always think about how that's look I, you know the, it's when all mammals get sick because the pressures environmentally are more inflammatory to the system wow. and so yeah i mean our 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 needs for food and water change and temperature changes and it affects our body and so our immune systems are you know we're more prone to being out of balance but it's also how we end up more mentally, you know, inflamed, emotionally inflamed. And, and so of course, that's why we have all this stress and depression and um, isolation around the holidays. And so, you know, I'm, I'm saying all this as so as to normalize it and to think about what are some of the pressures I can take off of myself and make some adjustments so that I'm carrying enough pressure that I'm obviously alive and breathing and (laughs) living and moving and pressure is not a bad thing. We need, we need blood pressure for our heart to pump, but not so much that it's, it's shutting us down and that we're imploding or exploding.
0: Now. Okay. So this is, you know, this see the seasonal changes and this being the most you know, usually to people, the most significant one, is this truly out of the entire year, one of the toughest seasonal changes that we all experience or not necessarily, is it kind of like circumstantial?
1: You know, I think it's, um, it's so funny because you can, I, I was just, it depends on where you live. And I think it depends on your socioeconomic status and it depends on your individual system and what you're sensitive to. And so I think, um, but I I was just talking with somebody about this uh, come a month or so ago, and we were talking about like which is the most inflammatory system, like what inflames our systems most. And you know, I, I think about spring, which is like this amazing, beautiful, vibrant, blooming season. But think about allergies <laughs> and what happens, and you know, the amount of work it takes when the whole world is like unfolding and blossoming and blooming and there's incredible pressure to be productive in the spring. And so, and then I think about winter and it's like, it, it's a, there's a lot of hardship around living in cold weather or hunkering down, dealing with, with, um, more moisture or snow or, you know, and more limited resources and that's inflammatory in its own way. So I, I think it it's circumstantial and I think all of us, um, handle those things on an individual basis and one of the pressures we live with is we're all supposed to handle it the same and and there's not the allowance for a diversity of experience like you could talk to people and they're like I oh, don't know winter is really easy for me and you talk to somebody else and it's like the hardest period for them so you know though there are all these holiday pressures after the holidays there's a lot of people will say they love the rest of the winter because there's permission to just slow your pace down and then spring comes and you're like, you better get outside and get in shape and plant the garden and do the gist and do that. And it's like, make your summer plans. And there's like a whole other set of pressures. And so I think it's really more a matter of noticing which ones are external, which are internal and which pressures you're willing to hold that are legitimate, that you are, committed to working with and which ones are just kind of these hot potatoes that other people are passing to you that you're like, this is not even my pressure. I don't want anything to do with this.
0: <laughs> I never thought of that because to your point, I'm thinking right across the board, like kind of what's placed on top of me. Oh gosh, it's the dreaded winter and the stress of the holidays. And, you know, um, I never even thought of the, besides spring and the fact that pollen kicks my butt all the time, right. I never thought um, to your point, how like the pressure for that season is to be productive, which makes sense. Cause we all talk about spring cleaning when it comes there and making changes yeah. for that new season. So it's pretty wild how. Um, you know, exactly to your point, if you're thinking in terms of your specific situation and Mm -hmm. not just kind of blanketed, like, what is everyone kind of, um, you know, just saying that is happening at the time seasonally or, you know. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, if you're somebody that's living off of land, I mean, a huge amount of the population in the world is still you know, growing their own food. And so spring, you know, that's a, there's a huge amount of pressure to get things in the ground so that you're gonna have food. And then there's harvesting, which is like a whole other set of pressures around getting the food out of the ground and storing it. You know, so I think we, and some of that's in our biology and in our, you know, we've got historical um, root systems there that dictate how we respond to changes of season and, you know, that are around, like, we do have an instinct to do different things seasonally as the weather changes and the days get shorter or longer.
0: Well, okay. So with the seasons and, you know, uh, you know, what usually comes with that with family and, and, um, such is drama, right? Like a lot of times we associate with, Oh God, here it comes, you know, have to get get together uh, with the family. Um, So there's a section in your book where you discuss the drama triangle. And then there's a, a counterpart to that in which you discuss flipping that into an empowerment triangle, which I just love that concept. I thought that was so cool.
1: Could you please explain that to people? I think that, you know, that would be really helpful. Sure. This is another one of those concepts that deserves at least one whole book. And um, <laughs> I did not invent the drama triangle. It was created by um, Stephen Carpman in the 70s. And, um, and he describes the drama triangle as a relational pattern or a dynamic that emerges naturally in people. Um, and i i've done some some digging around and research around this and also studying in animals you know does the drama triangle exist in in other animals as well and my conclusion is that it is very much like predator and prey so at the very basis of where this relational dynamic starts is about friend or foe and um but then and with humans we we um in these relationship dynamics, even though we might not be having a food chain dispute, as in I'm going to eat you and I don't wanna be eaten, um, we will get into these kind of us versus them dynamics. And what emerges very quickly in human relationships is this drama triangle. And the three positions on the triangle are persecutor, rescuer, and victim. And those are really strong terms. Um, but if you think about it, you know, it's like a villain or an enemy, somebody who's being, you know, hurt or, you know, sort of in distress and, and victimized. And then there's like the hero, and these are three very typical roles that we will play in human relationships. And if we're not careful and intentional and really learn about the drama triangle and, and how, how we're prone to interacting in it we can get sucked into that pretty regularly and end up having a lot of drama and which is why I just called that and, and having very dramatic conflictual relationships. Drama triangle emerges a lot with people when there's a lot of change, when there's resource scarcity and when there's a lot of fear driving um, a situation or a, a group or a culture. And so people are prone to enter the drama triangle in a particularly like dominant position. And so like, for instance, people that are in helping professions often are very prone to entering the drama triangle, trying to be amazing helpers, caretakers, rescuers. And that goes great until this person that you're trying to help won't listen to you won't follow direction won't let you save them and you get really frustrated and the next thing you know you start yelling at them and now you're actually the villain and then that person who is kind of acting helpless and not you know not letting themselves be helped they get mad because they don't like being treated that way they fight back and the next thing you know they're the villain and you've become the victim and it just spins like that and when it's spinning, you can sit back and watch and watch people move through the roles and um, and not even realize that they're doing it because they're just not conscious of it. And what gets triggered in us is a very primitive biological force, which is, um, it, it is that predator prey uh, drive.
0: Well, okay. So with that and the immersion of the animals and how comes into play right with our behavior and our Mm -hmm. reactions and our instincts. Why is it that horses and or dogs in particular are so like special in the like mix of it all?
1: Well um in terms of drama the drama triangle um or or just in general I'm sorry in general in general um so the, the thing about um, the human that can get pretty confusing is that we get some story going and language and the drama that happens within us and between us um, takes on a life of its own. And some um, we, the, we make meaning out of our experiences so that when we have situations that have tension in them or relationships that are confusing or conflictual, we will hold on to that and spin around in those stories, even if they're not happening anymore. Whereas the animals have, they have situations where they're in conflict or they have to do needs negotiation all the time, but once they've figured it out, they move on. And so the phenomenon of moving on just letting go and moving on (laughs) as mammals is a, it's a huge part of our survival success and humans live in the past and they live in the future. And so we, we're either, we're, we're time traveling either to things that of 20 years ago that we're, we're still suffering and feeling You know the the sort of sadness and loss and anger of the past, or were anxious and living out in the future, and in fears of things that haven't even happened yet. And so the the rest of the animals are much more in the present moment, and they don't have that thinking brain that allows them to kind of time travel back into the past, off into the future, and not take care of ourselves in the present. So we skip over a lot of our present experience because our thinking and our consciousness is not even in the present moment. We're, we're somewhere else.
0: So that's something that, you know, I'm guilty of that myself for sure. Yeah. And I envy animals for being able to do that because it's like a work in progress. I, you know, I can speak for myself personally. I think it is pretty common though, among other people. Um, and man, to be able to learn that, from the animals and to live in that way
1: i feel like that would be liberating you know it is yeah i mean i spend a lot of time with them and i always have and i've i've wondered often you know why why do i gravitate to them and it is you know i think what we were what we just described there i think it's it is about being free of those the angst of you know I mean, how many times do you find yourself ruminating about something that's already happened and replaying it or rehearsing a conversation that you want to have, or, you know, you're never going to have it, but you're sitting there playing out like some conversation you're going to have with someone and, you know, the brain and our nervous system is reacting to those thoughts and having you know, physical experiences of stress, even though it's not happening in the moment when we're replaying things or when we're doing kind of future forecasting. And so, yeah, just learning to be in the moment. And I watch them all the time and they'll have these like uh, just two days ago, I was out with my herd and they were just, you know, a couple of the horses were not, they were just in their own little, they were doing their own little thing. And one of them gave a third horse, gave some feedback to the others to just kind of like get, get out of my space. And they just, they just didn't listen. Uh, and she gave like six times feedback, and then she flipped around and like opened her mouth and went like you know with her teeth and, and you know she they know how to give feedback to each other and and escalate it without hurting each other. But she you know, she kind of put teeth on one of their hind ends, and they kind of scurried off. And and then I watch and it you know in the moment if you were to like take like some video or photos of it. It looked really nasty and mean. Her ears are back and it's just like glare on her face and her teeth and she's going after them. And then you look and like a moment later, they made the adjustments. They resituated themselves and it was completely over and there's no grudges held. And it's just like, oh yeah, I, sorry about that. I wasn't, you know, we weren't paying attention. And, um, and it's just, and then they go back to the culture of togetherness. Like that commitment to ease and togetherness, they go back to that and keep moving on, literally grazing, they're like, OK, and and onward we go. And so I watch those and I, I'm i so comforted by it. And then it gives me a template in the world of, of being able to say, you know, I don't like how this is going, I want to change this right now, i really want to be here but i like it gives me a template for how to give feedback to my environment in a way that's going to make me be feel comfortable and allow others to know me and to take care of myself and to have healthy boundaries and i haven't learned that anywhere else and i've been studying human psychology for you know 25 years i love that that they you know, give you
0: like that kind of clarity in their behavior. And, you know, it's like water under the bridge and literally yeah. keep it moving.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're basically saying like, look, if I don't take care of myself, I can't be there for you later. If I, if you're going to need me because I will be depleted or stressed or not get, I will not gotten my needs met. And so they have to take care of themselves. And they're, you know, there's a, it's serious business i mean i where I live, there are mountain lions and um you know a lot of horses in the wild they they live among wolves and predators, and there's fewer predators now than there used to be um but there's they still exist, and they the reason that they they live as a herd is to be safe and and um to you know enjoy a peaceful life together that instinct is real, and you
0: know uh, uh if we want to keep going we have to recognize our depleted energy and you know yeah. keep our instinct at the forefront and not just you know let it go also exactly um, okay so your book teaches so many incredible lessons through exercises and through, um, you know, the various topics that you covered. And again, you, I can easily see how those could be in and of themselves, you know, different volumes of a book. Um, but through your writing process, what was like the greatest surprise to you? Like you've taught your readers so many lessons. What did you learn along the way?
1: Um, I learned that, that writing a book like this is very challenging because there's not enough space. If you're, if, you know, I wanted to write an introductory type of book that, that goes over core concepts of a model and a framework. And I knew that it was an introduction to a way of thinking and living and a lens to look through. And so I didn't realize how many limitations I was going to have of just space to, to write. And, you know, my, my writing, um, career, I've, I'm first and foremost a poet, I have an MFA in poetry, and my first career was teaching um, undergraduate and graduate poetry. And um, so I'm used to, I, you know, I I was drawn to a form with lots of limitations. But this is a completely different book. And so I was like, oh, boy, now I'm like teaching and telling story and bringing exercises. And I'm really trying to share a different kind of message and in in a different way in this book. And here I am again with limitations of form. And when you break down a book and you look at how much you have to say, and then there's not enough space, it's, you know, that I was really surprised by how I thought, how am I going to write a whole book? And very quickly I realized I don't have enough space to write the whole book. Um, for this kind of book, it it couldn't be 500 pages. And I I think there's something off-putting. Like I wanted it to be usable. And if I wrote a 500 page book about this topic, it's too much for people. And so it's like, this is just an introductory, this is a bite. This is an appetizer of this kind of work and this framework. And that means that I have to treat it as such. So it was very hard for me, very hard for me. I give you major
0: props because you tapped into something that you were used to in the past and, you know, you applied it to your situation at the time. And I can imagine like, um, it it is perfect and I don't know how you did it for, you know,
1: (laughs) thank you. Well, you could have my daughter on your podcast and interview her about what is it like to witness somebody writing a book because she watched me writhe around on the floor whining and crying and like shoving me in my office and saying, "Will you just finish this thing already because I'm so sick of hearing you complain about the book. Just finish the book. Um, Yeah, it's really a very painful process, I have to say. And then and you I, get a, the book out there and it's like the most vulnerable, scary thing in the world that everyone's, I'm like, okay, that's great. I wrote it. Now no one read it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, cause it's artistic and you know, it's like yours and no one wants their stuff that's yeah. creative to be judged. Right. I don't blame you at all. You know, you're like, I, I want you to read it, but don't read it. But and don't if you read, read it, it. I don't want yeah. to hear about it. Like, I'll just <laughs>
1: give you the cliff note version. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll have to have your, we'll do a follow-up interview with you uh, in the new year and your daughter will be uh,
1: joining you on that one. Well, (laughs) I'm writing another book. So she'll. when I started writing the next book, she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I started writing another book. She's like, but you hated writing that book. I'm like, this is a different one. I think it's going to be enjoyable.
0: (laughs) Well, I cannot wait to hear how that goes. Okay. So, you know, through the book writing process and, um, what you learned along the way, what do you have coming up? Like, you know, you teased about the next book coming up. What, what's a project that you have coming that you're excited about that you'd like to share with people?
1: Um, you know, I have several, I, I teach this work, um, virtually and in person and you, you know we'll do co- a cohort style um, of, of taking people through the whole model virtually and then we'll do quarterly offerings where we have workshops um, either here at my ranch or in other locations with people that are part of our team and um and so I, I always have that going on and I love being able to bring the work to life, you know, for people that have read the book or even people that haven't. And then we, you know, circle up works with organizations and corporations and groups of all kinds. And so um, we usually have a couple of long-term culture projects going where we're working with an organization. Um, all the way through the whole organization to try and teach people a lot of what we've been talking about today, how to work together and take care of themselves in their workplace relationships with a a different lens and a different framework. And so those are, I have some really exciting ones going on right now, particularly a lot of the focus lately has just been, what's been coming my way has been around healthcare and mental health, which is, you know, that my it's always been a passion but you know mental health behavioral health and and healthcare organizations that are needing different ways of of being colleagues together and and running their organizations and so that's been really exciting um i always have courses going online through our website and then um and then like i said i am i am writing another book and um this one is about the journey that um that i took on um during the like at the the worst part of the pandemic at the height of covid i i went and adopted a a wild mustang untouched by humans and I, i drove from california to idaho and picked her up and she'd come from the mountains of northeastern nevada and um and so it's the the topic is around self-preservation and i've learned so much from her about about self-preservation and um a topic that i think that humans don't explore all that much and um and so she's been an incredible teacher and and so the book is about about that process
0: so you got the wild mustang and Mm -hmm. was that did you have kind of like a a, another book um, kind of you know, in your mind, and she just mm-hmm. happened to, or that just all came together on its own,
1: yeah, I didn't have I had no idea what was gonna happen when I got this horse. I just knew I'd wanted to do it for a really long time, and there was there was this opportunity and the story of kind of how the idea came to me as its own chapter or how I arrived at deciding to do it. but um, but once i once she got here. And it did not take long before I realized I was, I had gone and and gotten a teacher (laughs) and that I, um, and so I started really paying attention and, um, I thought I was going to help her feel safe and learn how to be in the human world. And I learned very fast that she was going to teach me how to be safe with myself that's truly yeah. powerful. She wasn't scared of anything. <laughs> I was like, Oh boy, this is different than I thought it was going to go. And so, um, yeah, she's, she knows how to take care of herself and she's been an incredible teacher of, of a kind of leadership and, and self-preservation and a very loving protective energy that I, that I've never really encountered. Yeah. She's definitely a force. And she's now part of the herd. And actually I would say of all of the horses, the one that volunteers to work with people the most when, so she, she started asking to work with my clients and groups that came here very quickly after coming here. And it took me quite a while to trust that that was safe. Um, but she has insisted and she's the first one to come greet people and very very interested in humans and very helpful and she's she really is a a teacher what a soulful animal that's pretty incredible yeah that's her in the background the in the background photo oh wow the the one that's kind of honey colored that has that white brand on her neck that she was owned by the u.s government and they brand these horses after they capture them And then after you have them for a year, the government gives ownership to you. She's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm writing a book about our relationship and her teachings. And when do you think that's coming? I can't wait. That sounds like an incredible story. You know, I got to go writhe around on the ground and cry in the corner for a couple of months before the book comes out. So I, honestly, I, to I be determined to be determined. Yeah. I'll talk <laughs> to my daughter about it. And at the point that she can't tolerate me anymore, the book will be but- done.
0: <laughs> that means it's on its way yeah. to, to be released. soon. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. Uh, you know, with all those cool things you have going on, I encourage people to check out and sign up for your workshops, your incredible online courses. You have tons of cool events and lots more. Please visit Beth's website at www.thecircleupexperience.com. And to connect with Beth on her Instagram, go to at the circle up experience. Thank you so much, Beth, for taking time to unplug with me today. Thank you. You are inspirational. And I can't wait to um, your next projects come out. Until then, rock on. Thank you.